0: The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org.
1: Father, we are thankful for the invitation, for the permission, and even for the command to cast our cares on you. We are a people full of cares. It is a good, it is a great gift that you give us a place to put them and to leave them. So we've already sang and we've already prayed. We've read Scripture to consider some of your wonder. and Now we look at some more Scripture and think about what it is to pray, to, to cast cares on you and to leave them with you. As we do, Lord, I pray, would you please speak? Draw near, please. It is too easy for us to rehearse theology, to remind ourselves of familiar passages, and to not actually hear from you, and actually even not to think about you. So Father, I pray that you would draw near and that you would speak and that the, the words that we've sung would come back to our minds, the words we've heard prayed, the words we'll, we'll hear spoken would, would come to our minds in a way that, that carries you and carries your truth to us and causes us actually to meet with you and then to grow in our further meeting with you after today. After this morning, what I'm asking, Lord, is that you would speak in a way that changes us, that builds up a people here, perhaps people elsewhere who hear this, who listen to it, that builds up your people in our communing with you, in our relationship with you, in our daily, moment by moment, relating to you. Would you increase that today? Speak to grow that. That would be a great privilege to us if you would do that. Would I ask you also to give clarity to my words and to my thinking, even as I find myself distracted and betrayed by confused thoughts and many different thoughts? Would you make your your path plain here? Would you make your word clear? Help us, Lord, to understand you and to draw near to you. Build your church, please, under the name of your Son here. We pray for blessing to you, a God who blesses. So we pray in confidence that you will answer. We say thank you. Amen. Turn our attention this morning to Philippians chapter 4, where once again we will look at the verses 6 and 7 that we've looked at in the past. We first considered this paragraph, verses 4 to 7, a very famous paragraph. First considered it a couple weeks ago. We looked at the whole paragraph, looked at it in its context, and properly addressed the different pieces as they relate to one another. Saw there, in particular, three commands. The three basic commands that kind of control the whole passage. First one, verse 4. We are to rejoice always. In verse 5, we are to carry ourselves with a gracious demeanor towards all. And then verse 6, we are to not be anxious, but to move from anxiety towards peace. It kind of gives structure to the whole passage. That's what God commands us towards. And as we talked about some weeks back, and then revisited last week, and we'll touch on again this week, these commands, this This commanding God, we we must approach this from the perspective of what a good God. Sometimes command strikes us as heavy and hard, but what a God that would command us, that would call us to this life. This is the best life you can imagine. The life you want, the life the whole world wants, a life of joy, of gracious interpersonal interaction, a life of thanksgiving, a life of peace, free from anxiety. The life the world wants, God commands us to, to, calls us to, enables us to walk in. That's a good God. Talked about that last week when we turned again to look at a subordinate phrase, one little piece in verse 6, with thanksgiving. Again, that's not the main point. The main point is about the command of, about anxiety. But with thanksgiving, God does say something about thanksgiving. We looked at that last week. Considered that topic, how we are to be thankful in all things, and how God enables thanksgiving. We that in Thanksgiving week. And now this morning we're going to look at one more subordinate idea in verse 6, the idea of prayer. Because prayer is present in the passage, prayer is a, a significant, important piece of our Christian lives. And because in the passage, while acknowledging clearly again, the main command is about anxiety, moving towards peace, he gives us more than just the the goal, move towards peace, he gives us the, the way by prayer. So there's something important for us to consider. This piece of prayer, it's important in the big picture for the Christian life, but it's also important for how this passage works. If we're trying to think, I want to move from anxiety to peace, how we do that is by prayer. So it's worth thinking about that to get to this life that we all want. This life that's full of thanksgiving and free from anxiety. So my hope in looking at this passage this morning is that I'll address, I'm going to do something I did last week, essentially take a topic out, of the, of the verse itself, out of its context, look at it kind of in general, and then put it back into the passage. And my hope is that as we do that, you'll, you'll think and, and grow in an understanding about prayer in general, but then also in particular that you grow in understanding how this verse works. But really, I want a lot more than you to just grow in understanding. You can't have less than that. you got to understand. We, we grow in life, we grow in our Christian lives through our minds as God illumines our minds and transforms us by the renewing of our minds. But I want you to get to the transformed part. Not just the, the here, the, not only that you would understand, but that my hope, Christian, is that you would catch the phrase here you would become a better prayer but that's just so that you become a a more closely associated with God Christian for your good I, I want you to understand something but not just understand something I want you to be blessed by becoming a Christian who is more closely connected to God that is, who prays better. I don't mean just technique, but who is a prayer. That's, that's, that's my hope this morning. And in some ways, it's a ridiculous hope because it's huge. And we're only going to be here for you know, X number of minutes. That's where we're going. And let, let me summarize it with this, with this sentence. It's my main point for this morning. For our peace, that's P-E-A-C-E. For our peace, God calls us to live life in prayer with Him. For our peace, God calls us to live life in prayer with Him. And I hope that something that comes in this morning is that you grow in peace as you grow in peace. Prayer with Him So let me read the passage. I'm going to read the whole paragraph again to be sure that we get the, the larger context because I will be addressing things independent from the larger context. So here's the whole section, verses four to seven, to get the big picture. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I'm going to make two observations, one more general and one more specific to the context. Here's the Here's the bigger one, the more general one. God calls us to live life praying. God calls us to live life praying. Using language similar to what I've used in the couple weeks previous, language of command, language of call, because this is God's expectation for our lives, for all of our lives. Verse 6, the command is do not be anxious in the absolute nature. We've noted this before about anything, but in everything. Here's Jared to do. In everything. And what follows are three words that are very similar. Three words that are pretty close. Prayer. And then supplication, which has a little bit stronger emphasis on on need, a little bit stronger push towards a I am desperate and I'm crying out to God. Prayer, supplication, and then requests, askings. And of those askings or those requests, we are to let them be made known to God in everything. So, in all of life, we are to be a people. Paul implies we are to be a a people who, in everything, are praying, petitioning, making known our requests, praying. That's the thrust of this verse, and it's the explicit statement in a bunch of other places. Consider just one, a passage very similar to this when we looked at it last week, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16. Similar statements in a similar place in a book, presented similarly. Paul says there, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. We are to pray without ceasing without stopping, without giving up. Absolute, again, in every situation, in all circumstances, there isn't any place, in any time, that we're supposed to say, in this I shouldn't rejoice, in this I shouldn't be thankful, in this I shouldn't pray. Always live a life praying. So what is prayer? Well, lots of books and lots of sermons have been written on this, and I'm not going to begin to scratch the surface on it. But there are a couple things that would be helpful for us to to remember. The words used here are generic words. They're the words that any Greek speaker could use to talk about praying to any Greek god or idol. Prayer simply is talking to God. God. So, God calls us, Paul is instructing us, talk to God. At which point, we have to say, stop. Because prayer, talk to God. The same words used down at that temple to talk about that idol, the same words used in this pop culture song, the, the same words used by this psychologist that talks about how useful it is for people to pray because it calms your heart rate. We're talking about the same thing, praying, using the same words, praying, talking about praying to God. We use the same word, G O D. Stop. Because we mean something totally different. It's the same, but totally different. Because English language here is, is weak, so I'm going to have to say it with emphasis. What I mean is, talk to God. Think about that. He calls us in his word... That is, God calls you to talk to him. That is far more amazing, far more amazing than any of us think. This is a tremendous, tremendous, tremendous privilege won for you in the gospel. Think about it. Something tremendous happened that we sang about in one of the songs, I forget the line exactly, open the key to heaven. Something happened that threw open the door that was barred, shut, locked, with a great big no entrance sign put on it. You were not allowed. You have no audience with the King of Heaven, the sovereign reigning God who has all power and all wisdom. You cannot talk to Him until suddenly you can. What a tremendous privilege God sent His Son to remove off of you guilt and condemnation, in in a different way of putting it, to turn a key in a lock that throws open a door that says, not no, but yes, come, 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 come. Come into the throne room of grace and ask me, ask me for mercy and grace in your time of need. Hebrews chapter 4. This is a tremendous privilege that is completely unavailable to the person who is not in Christ. Now, everybody rolled over praise, as we just said, everybody prays. God does indeed see prayer because God sees everything. God understands their prayers, the prayers of every non-Christian on the planet. Every religion on the planet is full of prayer, one way or another. God sees that, God hears it. Sometimes God acts in ways that seem to be an answer to that prayer. So what's the difference? The difference is in that verse in Hebrews 4. Grace and mercy. The posture, the face of God towards the non-Christian world is not a face of grace and mercy. Now indeed, Indeed, He is, as we talked about last week. He is gracious towards everyone on the planet. The sun rose this morning, and rain and snow will fall later. Today, tomorrow, whenever. That is grace from God to everyone. And God is merciful to everyone in the sense that His wrath has not been fully outpoured on most people today. That is a mercy, a holding back of the judgment that is due But it is only the holding back of a judgment that is due as water held behind a dam, one day to be released. If you're not a Christian, if you are not in Christ, if you're not a person who has trusted Christ and His cross alone to pay for your sin, know this, that any smile that you receive from God is only temporary, it is real, it is kind, it is gracious and merciful, but it is temporary because it is holding back for a time a tremendous outpouring of wrath, and the response to that, I would plead with you, the response to that is not to resist it, but to turn to Christ and be forgiven. But Christian, the smile of God towards you is permanent. The difference between the prayers of all peoples on earth and you is that you have a sure access, a sure promise, a sure smile of grace and mercy always and only from him to you. Awesome, because this is God. Bold submission. A coming to a throne to ask is a tremendous privilege. One for you. Promised, certain, favorable connection is open to you and you are commanded to take Him up on it calls you to live a life praying. So go to him and talk to him. Not to change him. It'd be helpful to be clear on a, on a point right here. Not to change him. When we think about prayer, we're not going to God, To pray to God to change God. Sometimes that's a bit confusing to us because we will read something perhaps like like the story that Jesus told about the persistent widow. You know that one from Luke 18. He tells that story to teach his disciples to keep praying we can misunderstand the story because it, on the face of it, it's, it's a woman who goes to a judge and nags him and nags him and nags him and nags him and nags him, and nags him until finally he gives in so you get to get her to be quiet. Oh, that must be what God's like. I have to nag him and nag him and nag him and nag him until finally he does what he didn't want to do but does. So he's unwilling but can be changed. No. That's not the point of the story. The point of the story is to call us to faith that keeps asking. We don't come to God to change Him. We don't come to God who is unwilling but must be coerced. We don't change Him. But then the other ditch that we can veer into is that that, we don't change anything. This point for me is the one that's most important and maybe, maybe it is for you. I think probably most of us understand we don't change God, but this, for me, is probably top couple of things that move me to pray and that I find I've forgotten about when I'm not praying. You do change things when you pray. You change things in you and you change things in the world all around think about like this think of a boat and I'm, I'm borrowing and modifying this idea from some old saint years and years and years ago he said something kinda like this, this is not completely original with me, but think of a boat you're in it and it's tied to a dock in a lake by say a 50 foot piece of rope now, You can't drift out into the center of the lake. You can't drift off to the far shore. You you can't get lost out there in the vast expanse of this huge lake because you are indeed tethered to the dock. But as the wind comes and as the the currents are, are turbulent all around, the boat drifts in, the boat drifts out, the boat drifts to the left, the boat drifts to the right. It goes all over the place until you do what? Until you start pulling on the rope. And then what happens? The dock doesn't move. But the boat does. And you in the boat does. And you both draw near to the dock. To the harbor. That's what we're doing when we're praying. We are moving the boat. And we are moving us. Because you think of the pulling, if you think of praying as I'm drawing near to God, because that's what God has decided, that's how God has decided to work in the world. God works in the world, understand this, God works in the world, the big word is the doctrine of providence, we've talked about this a bunch of times, God works in the world, sometimes by miracle, but most commonly by providence, by using ordinary human means ordinary laws of nature means, ordinary animal, wind, gravity, ordinary means to accomplish his purposes. And one of those means that he uses is prayer. He works his purposes. We don't give him his purposes. He works his purposes through and as we pray to what Jesus was getting at when he said he said this a number of times in different places it's very simply put in John 14:14 14, 14, Jesus says there if you ask anything in my name I will do it very simple sentence if you ask I will do it He wants us to ask, and he will act, he will do it, when we ask. This is the doctrine of providence in prayer. The praying comes first, then the acting comes second. And he says, ask, and I will do it. Ask anything in my name that is in accordance with me. Anything that lines up with me, we don't give them the purposes, He gives us His purposes. Ask it, and I will do it. But if you don't, I won't. That point right there is extremely significant in my own prayer life, and perhaps it would be in yours if you would actually write that down and think. Prayer actually does something. I actually can speak to God. I can take my requests, my concerns, my needs to God, and I can lay them in front of Him, and I can ask, and He will respond in ways that He would not respond otherwise. Things will happen when you pray that would not happen if you didn't. That should move you brother, sister, that should move you to pray. Desiring to see God active in the world to respond. Why has God chosen to work that way? Well, ultimately I don't know. We can make some guesses. By analogy we can understand some things. Don't, Don't we all know Somehow, as human parents even, human parents take delight in being asked by a child. Take delight, don't they? In the trust implied in the asking. In the awareness that grows in the child. Apart from dad, I can do nothing. But he can, and I bet he will. I'm going to ask him and watch. Watch. There's dependence, and there's trust, and there's the honoring of the one who has the capability and who shows it. And there is the involvement of the child in that. As the child is grown, comes to see, my dad can do anything. Isn't it the sweetest thing in kids? And they think that, actually. Dad can do anything. It's a sad moment when they realize it's not true. It is. I heard this said one time that the saddest moment in a young boy's life is the first time he beats his dad at a physical engagement of some sort. It's the moments of greatest triumph and the moments of greatest sorrow. Triumph, I finally beat him. And sorrow, I actually can beat him. He's not all that I thought he was. That never happens with our Father who is in heaven. The sweetest thing, one of the sweetest things in us, and and I'm suggesting that perhaps this is part of why God has chosen to work this way. One of the sweetest things in us is I can't, but he, I know, can. And his door is open to me and his face is smiling towards me. And he will, when I ask him, watch that's one of the sweetest things for us to experience. One of the greatest delights in God when he sees a people whose faces are not set separate from him. I can, I will, but a turn towards him. You can, you will, please. Perhaps that's part of why God has chosen to work in response to prayer. makes clear who the doer is, makes clear the disposition of the doer, builds in us dependency, faith. Prayer is talking to God, a privilege won for you, Christian, in the Gospel, something that you are called to do to live life praying always and should do with great hope He wants to respond and will respond to work in this world, to do things when you ask Him. So He calls us to live lives praying, not just, I find myself oddly stuck in this spot often, not just thinking about issues, but asking Him. So pray. Take your requests to God, lay them at his feet. Take your askings to him. Pray and petition him. In all things, in all of life. That's the first general point, what prayer is. Talking to God, engaging with this great God that has opened his door to us in the gospel and promises to respond to our prayers. That's the first point. But the second point, then, I'm going to take that and kind of put it back into this passage and consider something particular, because that that I was just talking about is not particularly what's on Paul's mind when he writes this paragraph. That's general, but in particular, he's got something else in mind. So here's the second point. As we draw near to God in prayer, we come into the shelter of God's peace. As we draw near to God in prayer, we come into the shelter of God's peace. And that's what this paragraph in Philippians 4 is actually about. We talked about prayer in general, but Paul's after this thing in particular, he presents prayer as the means for you, the prayer, you, the person praying, to grow in peace, or conversely, to fight against anxiety in you yourself. So he's not actually talking about prayer in this paragraph, about what you would pray for something else, for someone else, somewhere else. He's talking about prayer as a help for you yourself in a particular struggle against anxiety and for peace. Verse 6, do not be anxious about anything. Verse 7, and the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The shelter of God's peace all around you as a guard around your heart and mind So that you rest in peace and not in anxiety. That's what will happen, says the verse. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts. How is that? Wouldn't you like to know? Because, because, We strongly, deeply want peace. And how many of us here are Christians and have been for years? In all those years, you've been praying. You didn't just discover this morning you're supposed to pray. So you've been a Christian for years, all those years you've been praying and proving this verse wrong. Follow the connection? I'm a Christian. I pray. And the peace of God will guard. No, it doesn't. I'm racked with anxiety. I've been for decades. I could list off the things that I'm afraid of. Or maybe if if you don't use the words anxious and afraid of, maybe flip it around and think of it like this. What does guard your heart and mind and keep you from anxiety? The reason you're not afraid might just be because you're incredibly successful, or tremendously beautiful, really smart, have a ton of money, live in a great house in a wonderful neighborhood in the best country on the planet. That might be why you're not anxious. Is that what actually is guarding your heart and mind? Or maybe what you're really saying is, Steve, I don't need to think like that. I am well acquainted with anxiety. If we're honest, I think everybody can raise their hand on that. One tragedy of many Christian lives, I can't speak specifically about yours, one tragedy about many Christian lives, about mine often, is if, if God has called us to, wonderfully called us to, and enabled this, this Christian life My Christian life, I think probably yours often, is somewhere here. Oh! This is why I said at the beginning, I don't want you to just grow in understanding how this all works. I want that to change. I want, want, for me, and maybe for you, for, for this gap to close, and for there to be in you a different sort of life, a life that actually is... Known by, dominated by. We are are sinners in a fallen world. It is never going to be 100% now. That's what God will bring when he brings in the new heaven and the new earth. But that will close this gap, not completely, but will close it so that you will know increasingly life free from anxiety, life captured by, covered by, surrounded by, guarded by the peace of God in Christ. That's what will happen, it says. How? How can that be? It's not my experience. Let's think about what he means here. He does not mean, obviously, experience proves this right. He does not mean that any and every stating of request to God brings peace. That clearly is not the case. We've all prayed and we've all been anxious. What he does mean, though, is this. This, this will seem like a subtle point, but this is the point. Subtle point, but this is the point. As we draw near to God in prayer. That's the point. As we draw near to God in prayer. Not just as we pray. That might seem like a very subtle point, a splitting of hairs. There is a gulf of difference. God present is what makes for peace, not praying. Understand, I'm preaching this and I feel like, like I'm stepping on a hole covered with paper. Because there's, there's not really much there. Am I, am I going to stand up as I move across this? Are you going to check out and say, oh, that's, that's too fine of a point. There's, there's... But we have to move across this because this is the whole deal. And there's a slight and I do not mean in any way whatsoever to strike you with this, but there is a slight indictment of many of us, I fear in much of our Christian lives, that while praying, we are not actually talking to God. That's possible. And I fear that that's what Is really what's behind the. I've been a Christian for years, I've been praying for years, and I'm just as anxious as I was before. Perhaps you're not actually talking to God because it is the presence of God that will bring the peace of God. Not the act of praying. He hints at the presence of God, even in this very passage. I don't even need to withdraw to general theology. From this passage, there are a couple of different hints that it would be worth noting. Why does he pile up words that are nearly redundant three times to talk about prayer and supplication and your requestings? Because he's trying to get the point across. You're talking to someone. You're actually communicating. There's someone on the other side of this. Think about it. And you do so with Thanksgiving. Well, thankful to who? This is one of the great fallacies of of the U.S. national thanksgiving. We say thank you to whom? We're supposed to be thankful towards God, but if you've removed that, we've got thank you spoken into the vacuum. There's a God on the other side of thanksgiving. With thanksgiving, I'm talking with thanksgiving, I'm communicating with God, and at the very end, what guards my heart and my mind is the peace that is in Christ Jesus, relational. I'm, I'm, I'm sitting within Him, in Christ. So there are hints here. He doesn't, he doesn't use my language of the presence of God, but there are hints here that we are communicating with one towards whom we are thankful, in whom we rest. That's where peace comes from. The reciting of a list of requests, your experience proves it, doesn't bring peace. God does. As we come near to the dock, as we come near to the dock, to use that analogy, we're actually drawing near to God. We see God more clearly. This is where you have to imagine what happens when you draw near to God. Something different than listing off requests. Oh, I bring my requests, absolutely. I do bring my requests. He wants to hear, first point. He wants me to ask. He wants to smile on me and answer. I bring my requests, but I bring them to God and sit there in front of God, and what do you see? You don't, you don't come with the list, you come with the list. I still have the list, you come with the list. Father, and you look, you, you commune with God. List in hand, absolutely, we, we need, we must lay them in front of Him. He wants to hear it, absolutely. But it is relational, it is communication with thanksgiving. Father, who is he? Do you know? We are particularly informed of this from the Scriptures, which is why the best praying is done with the Bible in hand. We are particularly informed of this in the Scriptures. But sometimes you don't need the Bible in your hand. You can be in your car and remember the Bible you have to lift up your eyes and behold the one who sits on the throne into whose presence you have come. And as you see, that's who he is. A sovereign God who reigns. Power. Power. Oh, and that's Who He is, a sovereign God who reigns from a throne of grace, power, and grace. His posture, His demeanor towards me is one of smile, always and forever. Seated on a great throne with immense power utilized in wisdom. That's who He is. He is a God who can. A God who will. And a God who knows what He should do. That's who He is. And if that will wash over you, if you will sit beneath that fountain ever pouring on you and ever soaking, list in hand, You come into the presence of this God desperate for a job, absolutely perplexed about that loved one and the choices he or she is making. You come with that that written on the list. This I have to bring. I have to ask you about this. Father of power and grace, of majestic glory and close, intimate, loving kindness. I have to ask you, this is of great concern to me. I know you know what is best. I know you are able and willing. Please intercede. And the only conclusion that you can come to with this list in the presence of that one is there's no way on earth this does not work out for good. For the good of the kingdom and the good of the king and the good of the king's subjects, me. Me. No way on earth his will is stymied. No way on earth his smile turns to a furious anger. No way on earth he's befuddled. No way. And there with this list in his presence, the peace of God stands around you, guarding you. All your anxieties cast at his feet. What else do I need? Thankfully, Have everything. Thank you. Rejoicing, it's going to go well. Walking out to deal graciously with people in job interviews and perplexing family members. I can live the Christian life here in joy and gracious demeanor, at peace, thankful because. He reigns, and He has opened the door and welcomed me in and promised, promised never to leave me nor forsake me, not to abandon me, not to forget about me, but to be actively engaged with me, with you, beloved child, with you, in every moment of every day. He stands eager to be asked, waiting to answer. Pray. Which by now I hope you see, I mean not just list off the stuff, but for your peace, live life with Him praying. It could be that one of the reasons that lies behind, I'll say it generically, your trouble, because I don't know what your trouble is. It could be that one of the reasons, one of the things that lies behind your trouble is that you don't pray. that you don't, perhaps, that you don't come into His presence to look at Him. That you don't stay there long enough until peace comes to rest in here. How long do you need to pray? Until then. You don't need to Fifteen times, list off the "I need a job, I need a job, I need a job, I need a job, I need." A... He knows that. You don't. You don't pray by listing off things and stating all of them out loud. You don't pray by the clock. You pray by the heart and by peace. And you need to pray—that is, commune with God—until you come to rest. He calls you to live life with Him, praying. A command, but once again, a glorious, glorious summoning of you. A summoning of you for your great good. A summoning of you to bless. Privilege is one for you as he's opened the door. Walk in, look at him, and talk to him for your peace. Let me pray. Lord, I don't know what individuals here particularly need in this moment, but You do. And I pray that they in this moment would pray. Give them grace to pray. To commune with You right now. To sit before You and ask. To ask for Your work and their particular needs. Would you answer, and would you not let go of them and not let this be a a momentary thing done by noon on Sunday morning, but would you make it a little bit more, a little bit more integral to their lives? I pray that for myself also, would you grow us in our praying, make us better prayers for our good? Lord, build your church, please. You're kind and merciful to command us as you do. Give grace to be obedient. Help us to pray. Thank you, Lord. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others. But please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcevfree.org or call us directly at area code 801 943 0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah. 84121